welcome to another edition of the Campus Hunger Project podcast, where we examine the current issues college students are facing when it comes to food insecurity. I am your host, Monica Sager. Today we are talking with Owen Flomberg, who is the national president of the Student Basic Needs Coalition. He recently graduated from the University of Tennessee with a major in political economy and development. Welcome, Owen. Hi, thanks so much for having me on, Monica. Of course. Can you start by telling all of us about yourself and why the issue of food insecurity is so important to you? Yeah, so like you said, I am a recent graduate of the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. And while I was there, basically my sophomore year, I got involved with advocating for students' basic needs access. And I did that through being involved with our Swipe Out Hunger program or meal share program we had on campus called the Big Orange Meal Share. And basically my sophomore year, I read an article on NPR actually about uh, student food insecurity and was introduced to the issue. And I really was curious to see what my campus was doing about it. And what I quickly found and discovered was that my campus was doing um, nearly nothing about student food insecurity is, which I think is kind of the theme for campuses across the country, particularly those within the South. So I started to research what the little things that our campus was doing, and we had a meal share program, like I said, called the Big Orange Meal Share. I requested the data on the usage of the program, or how many students were using it. And to my surprise, when I got the data, it was like 10 students using it a semester um, and getting assistance from the program. So my theory behind why there was so little usage of the program in comparison to the numbers that had been coming out on my campus, there had been recently a uh, research study done that found one in three students within the University of Tennessee system, roughly, were experiencing food insecurity as defined by the federal government, that students might have access to calories, but they might not be regular access to adequately nutritious food. So I talked with my administration on my campus and basically came up with the theory that the program was not being used because it was not being advertised to the students that actually were more likely to need assistance from the program. And what that looked like is our Dean of Students Office was sending out a very small advertisement, sometimes, not even regularly, to like student government people or like students involved with student government and not really to the broader student body because while I don't want to make generalizations, students that have the time to be involved in extracurricular activities or student government or things like that are on average um, less likely to be the students that are working three jobs um, just to make rent and the students that need assistance from a program like the Big Orange Meal Share. Kind of came up with that theory and got them to advertise it more generally to the student body and we started to see like hundreds of students use it each semester and get assistance from the program. I started to build an organization around the Big Orange Meal Share of students that were interested in the issue and were basically wanting to advocate for expansion of that program, helping advertise it and things like that. And I got to my, really my senior year after kind of working around that, working around the Big Orange Meal Share, and I had been an RA 
for my sophomore and junior year of undergrad. And while doing that job, I primarily worked with first and second year students and started to see not only symptoms of food insecurity that a lot of my students or residents were facing, but also other basic needs and insecurities like housing insecurity and not adequate access to healthcare or proper safety. And that's kind of where the idea behind the Student Basic Needs Coalition developed was bringing together not only the concerns of student food insecurity, but also housing, healthcare, and safety. And by doing so, we started the first Student Basic Needs Coalition at the University of Tennessee. And doing so, we were addressing all four of those different areas or trying to address those four different areas because the root cause of all of those four insecurities that students are facing is financial insecurity and the inaccessibility of higher education in the United States. So at SBNC, we started our first chapter at University of Tennessee, and now we've expanded to roughly 20 campuses that we're working with across about 15 states, and that number changes all the time. But the vision, our vision statement for our whole organization is that higher education is a right and should be accessible to all. And we try to tackle that through addressing our four pillars, the food, housing, healthcare, and safety, and sub-policies within those four pillars. Have you seen any changes since you created the Student Basic Needs Coalition? Yeah, so we have had a lot of success with our pilot chapter, or our first chapter at the University of Tennessee. So what we were able to do there was uh, formulate a list of demands that were not just solely focused on food insecurity, but had food insecurity at at really the forefront of what these demands were asking the university to do. And for example, like the first demand was for, we did some research and looked at the prices at the pod markets or the convenience markets on campus of the prices of the food there. And then we looked at the closest grocery store and we found that um, the prices were inflated by like 300%. And some of the more egregious examples was like 10 cents for a block of ramen at the local grocery store, but at the pod markets on campus, it was like $1.50. That was one of the more egregious examples. But on average, it was around 200, 300% markup. So that was like our first demand is that the university bring those prices back down um, to market levels. The second demand was that the university provide free menstrual products in the restrooms, because there's a lot of research that shows that a very sizable portion of persons who menstruate have missed class because of that and not having access to menstrual products. And that's a big health concern. Basically, I won't go through all the demands here, but they kind of hit those four different pillars that we talk about and weren't solely focused on food insecurity, but also the other things that we talk about with SBNC about making college accessible. So we presented those demands to the university and in a very organized way, and we got, had a lot of success actually with them. One of the demands was to establish a dollar cafe on campus so that students would be able to pay one dollar and get an adequately nutritious full lunch and then another dollar then they could get a dinner. And the campus was really receptive of that surprisingly. They were really receptive to like the menstrual products demand and some of the others that we had on there. And It looked like they were all going to get implemented based off of what they were telling us 
and then COVID hit, so a lot of that got derailed. So I'm excited to see what the UT chapter is able to do in the coming years. In addition to that, uh, we had a really big focus on getting involved in the legislative process off campus. And what that looks like and what we're hoping this to look like on in the other states that we've gotten involved in over the past few months is introduction of legislation into um, state legislatures. And we got a piece of legislation that we wrote and got sponsored in the Tennessee General Assembly that was addressing food insecurity. Had uh, a few parts. First part would have been, it didn't get to get voted on because of COVID, but it hopefully will get reintroduced in this upcoming session. But the first part of it was focusing on establishing or mandating that public four-year institutions in the state of Tennessee had uh, food pantries on their campus. So kind of that base level of support that we should expect campuses to be offering students. Um, another component of it was that the campuses, both two and four-year public institutions within the state of Tennessee, um, start reporting their student food insecurity statistics on a biannual basis. And then the third part of it was that all two and four-year institutions in the state would contact all students that they had that have a FAFSA family expected contribution of zero dollars. So those are the students that come from the least means that they were potentially eligible for SNAP or formerly known as food stamps benefits. So yeah, so that was kind of what our legislation looked like in Tennessee and we're hoping to get that reintroduced in the spring and during the next legislative session. And then we have chapters across the country that are looking to introduce similar legislation in their respective states. I think we would have seen more success in actually implementing the things if COVID hadn't hit, because we were making a lot of progress in Tennessee. We did see like a big win with establishing a food pantry at the University of Tennessee. Basically, we've been asking for that for years and different students have been asking for a food pantry on campus for years. What we did through that those demands that we were able to um, introduce to our administration and show that there was an organized, coordinated student group that was advocating for this and it wasn't just one person that was going to graduate in a few months. I was able to go to the board of trustees and kind of talk about lack of a pantry that we had on campus. And as soon as I got down from talking with the board of trustees and presenting to them, our university chancellor came over and said that we'd have one up um, in like 30 days. So that, that's kind of part of our model is really trying to be loud on the campuses that we're on and be smart about how we're advocating and picking very specific things that we want and pushing very hard for those. And hopefully we'll see that over the next year, especially as uh, new chapters have developed and we'll be starting their advocacy campaigns soon. That all sounds really awesome. A lot of the work that you are talking about is creating new policies both on your campus and in the Tennessee General Assembly. Can you speak to how you go about doing that, like how you get your foot in the door and what the process is like? One of the things that we did was, this just sounds like really, really simple and because it is, is we just emailed a ton of state reps that we thought might be interested in what we were talking about and we got a lot of no responses, but we did get a few responses and we're kind of be able to get our foot in the door with some of them. And just being persistent and like continuing to email them, I think is like, and really just trying to reach out to people is the best way if someone's wanting to get some sort of piece of legislation introduced. 
casting your net wide and just reaching out to as many people as you can and forming connections because you might end up uh, making connection with someone that would be able to get you in contact with a representative's office or something like that. Another thing you mentioned was the pandemic. Can you talk to why it's making issues of food insecurity and other uh, social injustices that the Student Basic Needs Coalition works on? Why this pandemic is really making it so much more prominent? I think one of the biggest things, second probably only to the actual health concerns that the pandemic is causing, is the instability that it's causing. And it's students that are financially insecure, that are suffering in the changes to our economy that have happened over the past several months. It's these students that are really going to see most of the repercussions of how universities across the country have not really thought through the policies of starting up in the fall. For example, at the University of Tennessee, I talk about that a lot because that's where I went to school, they brought everyone back. Cases are skyrocketing right now. And eventually within the next few weeks, I imagine they're gonna send everyone home. And, and these are gross generalizations, but just to kind of get my point across, the students that are causing the outbreak that's going on there and students at universities across the country that are going out and partying and not being responsible. Those students are most likely the ones that are not going to be as adversely impacted in their access to food and housing and their basic needs and being able to successfully complete their semester. It's really exasperating the issues of food and housing insecurity for a lot of students and the lack of jobs that are out there. I think that there's going to just be more and more and more attention around kind of the situation that students are in across the country in the coming months. And I think it's important for groups like SBNC and Hala for Hunger and Swipe Out Hunger and Rise and the other groups that are out there to continue to organize around these issues because I think there's going to be a lot of potential to make positive change in the coming months, especially after the election. I definitely hope so. Yeah, <laughs> it's a real positive perspective. I don't know how it actually goes. I know that you originally formed this group around food insecurity, but have since quickly found that there's other issues that students are facing. Like you mentioned housing, you mentioned job insecurity. Can you speak to how these are all connected? Yeah, it, it goes back to the economy and the way that our country is structured at this point, especially economically. These issues are all interconnected because they're all have to do with class, frankly. It's students that are hoping for upward mobility by receiving an education, higher education, being able to get a better job. But students from less financially privileged backgrounds are less likely to be able to finish their degree. And that's kind of where this number of uh, one in three students that start education don't finish their education. And that is hugely problematic for several reasons. The first among them is on the individual's basis is they've sunk a lot of costs into pursuing their higher education, whether those be um, directly financial decisions, the opportunity costs of not working for the time that they were pursuing their education or working less during that time. Uh, when a student 
gets to the end of their sophomore year and then or the end of their freshman year or the end of their first semester or the end of their sixth semester on campus and makes the decision to not complete their education. They have sunk a lot of costs into their education already that is going to adversely affect them moving forward. Prime example of that is that when you take out student loans, it's very, very hard to get rid of those loans other than paying them off. And that was, um, I actually did my, part of my undergraduate thesis was on this is, and basically the, it was like the 1976 or so, uh, Congress acted to basically make student loans very, very, very difficult to discharge through bankruptcy. And this was because there's very little evidence that any of this was really happening, except in some very high profile cases that got attention. But Congress did not want students taking out loans, getting their education, and then um, graduating and then declaring bankruptcy and getting rid of all of their loans. And basically the government wouldn't be able to take back as like the loan holder, take back their degree. You know, they have that and are able to have get a higher paying job with, with that degree and, and there's no way to take that back. It's experience gained. Congress passed that rule in the mid seventies. And then you see the cost of college skyrocket after that. And some people hypothesize the reason for that is since all that debt was so secure and you really couldn't get rid of it or students couldn't get rid of it that schools and the government the government was more willing to loan more money to people uh, because they knew they were going to get the money back and schools saw that 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 there was more money in the market so they were able to increase the cost of college significantly over that period of time and this is kind of getting into the economics of it so college just keeps going up because people will just pay whatever they need to pay to go to school because they're going to get a loan for it and that's kind of i think the root of this the problem of the system that we have right now is that colleges can basically charge whatever they want and students kind of have to pay it and i think my last question then for you owen is is there any final takeaway around food insecurity or any of the other issues that student basic needs covers that you'd like to leave with our audience kind of the model that we're using with SBNC and a big philosophy that we have is that students have a lot of power that they don't realize that they have. And it took me until basically almost the end of my senior year of undergrad to realize that, that when students on campuses across the country, no matter what state it's in, organize around these issues and call out how defunct and flawed the higher education system is in our country, they're gonna get noticed. And it's, I think part of the reason why our system has gotten to the way that it has, and I don't wanna cast blame on students, but students are only students for like four years and then they graduate or, you know, hopefully just a few years and then they graduate and then move on and then stop being surrounded by the issues that surround higher education other than just paying off their debt and I say just paying off their debt like it's a small thing but it's not I think what we are trying to do is while these students are in school helping build structures 
to advocate for changing the system. The system is just, I think, spiraled out of control and we're seeing the system was already broken even before COVID hit. But I think COVID is really laying bare to the world um, how flawed our higher education system is and how inaccessible it is for students, um, which is really the antithesis of what our higher education system is supposed to do. It's supposed to be an equalizer. It's supposed to be a class equalizer and give opportunity to everyone. And it's just failing at that right now. And um, my advice to students is to understand that they can make change in the small time that they are students, but even after. And I think students now are more engaged politically on and especially off campus. Voting rates for students have like like doubled in the, the midterm election in 2018. And I think we're gonna see a, a very, very high percentage of students participating in the 2020 election um, as that data comes out. Um, so I guess my big advice for students is to stay engaged, to vote, and not underestimate how much they can do by just getting a few friends together, calling out the flaws that they have on their campus and in higher education in general. Thank you so much, Owen, for talking with us today. Your insight was very valuable. I love all the research that you've been doing and all the work that you've been doing around this too. So I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Monica. And it was great to meet you. That's it for today. I'm Monica Sager. See you next week for our next episode of the Campus Hunger Project Podcast.